Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to read that. Psalm 128. I think I got blinded. I didn't see it. Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. He will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine and within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is a man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the way, all the days of your life. You may see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. May God's blessing be upon the reading of his words. Let's pray. Father, may the words that we say today bring you glory and honor. For you are worthy to be praised. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, real quickly here, uh, how many of you remember, I'm going to move this over here real quickly, how many of you uh, remember when your child was born? Okay. Uh, how many women remember when your child was born? Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm at that in-between age. You know, you know what I mean? How many of you men had to wait in the waiting room for the child to be born. N not the not the, the delivery room, but the waiting room. Okay, so we, we've got none here. Okay, the re reason why I ask that is because at the hospital that we went to, uh, Bryant Community Hospital, up in Bryant, Ohio, uh, uh, they had just started the uh, uh, allowing men in there because we were a kind of a conservative, a high area conservative hospital. And I know the doctors didn't like the men in there. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. And so, um, so we didn't have the waiting rooms like we, like, well, we, we still had the waiting rooms, but we didn't have the delivery rooms, the labor and delivery rooms like what you guys have got. Um, Polly, when she, when she gave birth to the babies, with the exception of David, uh, we, were in a we were in a labor room and then the doctor came in and said, okay, it's time, or the nurse came in, it's time. And then they transferred her over to a bed, and then they went to a delivery room. How many of you went through that? Just Polly. Okay, all right. So, and so, but anyway, the story that I'm going to share with you actually probably happened in probably in the 70s, because that's when all this started. But there were three men that were in a waiting room, and their wives were giving birth to their babies. And the, the first one... Uh, gave birth, and uh, the nurse came in and said, "Congratulations, you have twins." And the man goes, "Oh, that isn't that a coincidence? It's because I play for uh, the Twins baseball team." And and then another man came in, and another nurse came in and looked at the man and said, "Congratulations, you have triplets." And said, isn't that a coincidence? Because I work for 3M. The other man got up and fell on the floor. He goes, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> See, it had nothing to do with the sermon, but it was just a good story. All right, um, we're going to do something a little different today. It's the first time I brought my friend up here. 
uh, and uh, we're going to uh, uh, play uh, play a little bit of scripture here. I got to get my notes too. Uh, so the last few weeks we've been talking about the importance uh, on uh, uh, of our children and and what do uh, what do our children need and. Uh, Last week we talked about it and we found out that children need a home, a uh, foundation of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the cornerstone of the house has to be Jesus Christ and has to be, uh, has to be a firm foundation. The home must be protected from invaders. Okay, And when we talk about invaders, we're not talking about crooks that come in, but we are talking about stuff, people who come in or things that come into your home that will destroy your children and also you. And uh, so you as the mother and father have the right, and we were very specific about this, you have the right to say this is not allowed, this will not be watched, this cannot happen in our home. Okay? We also uh, found out that we need to have godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And we're in a big culture war about that right now. We also learned that children are God's property, but they're given to you as a gift. We also found out that they are a fruit that is to be cultivated and that they are arrows that are to be sent forth. Eventually you've got to let them go. And it's hard. I'm talking to you young parents right now. A day will come when you must let your children go. And that is hard. You know that song, Butterfly Kisses, you know, and you know you still remember when your daughters were on your feet and you were dancing like this, and the day will come when you're going to be dancing like this. And I remember every time, every time my daughters got married, and that father-daughter dance happened, it, 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 I, I loved it, but I hated it. And you'll understand later. And, and you look at every picture of me, and I, I'm not dancing like this. I am grabbing them and I am pushing them as close as I can and I'm patting and, and you look at the and I'm bawling my head off. I'm crying. And then I go up to my son-in-law and says, you will take care of her because I know how to use a shotgun. <laughs> and then my other son-in-law, he's in the military, says, but I know how to use a, <laughs> a 50 caliber, you know, that type of stuff. But, but that's, what, that's what men, I mean, that's what children need. They need to know that they love you, but there also comes a time when your job is never done, but you gotta let go. Okay, you gotta let go. So, so last week we talked about the two, there are four stages in your children's life. The first stage in your children's life is uh, before they come, and that's where you develop a foundation. I said 80% of marriages, I can tell 80 to 90% of marriages, if they're gonna fail or succeed based upon what comes into the marriage. And I'm pretty right. I've said it before. I can predict how long a marriage will last when they're in my premarital counseling. And I'm fairly close. Uh, there, there, there was one that I was wrong on. And it's a couple that's still married and they still have so many kids. And the interesting thing about them, they never dated. <coughs> there were a couple that never dated. <laughs> and yet, uh, they just were friends since, uh, since uh, kindergarten. And so, they never dated. Okay, so... Then, um, uh, uh, where was I going with that? But anyway, okay, then, the, then the second stage is when the children come. And then today we're going to talk about when you're raising the children, what they need, and when the empty nest years come. 
Next week, we're going to continue, and next week is going to talk about just a uh, fairly similar subject. We're still going to talk about kids. But when, you're, when your children go astray, because I think every one of us, or most of us, not everyone, have at least one child that has gone astray. And some of them have rejected the faith. How do we handle that? What should we do? So we're going to look at Scripture when that comes up. Okay. So let's go to uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, uh, 128. And today we're going to talk about, we're going to start out by looking at the first thing that children need. So let's go into Psalm 128. It says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in the way. There are two words I want to really focus on. Blessed and fear. What does that mean? So blessed actually means happy. And the word happy is more of a contentment. So it really is, content are those who, who our children, uh, blessed are those, content are those who fear the Lord. I don't like the word fear, because when we talk about the word fear, we usually think of monsters that come and scare you. That's not the type of fear that they're talking about here. What they're talking about is an awness, a type of respect of God. And so it says the biblical word for fear is uh, yara, yara, which means to have awe or reverence or respect or worship. So the first step, step and, uh, and the first thing that your children need is actually a father and mother who fear and obey God. They fear and obey God. And like I said, I don't like to use fear here because you don't want your children to fear you. I mean, I mean uh, dad's coming home, ah, and they all run. What they want and they need is someone that they, they know, a father and mother that they know that there is a God, and they are in tremendous amount of awe and respect of him. And so because they know there is a God, they obey him. And not only that, but they walk through life together, showing God to them. So my granddaughters are at my house and, uh, yesterday, and we went outside. And all, did you notice all the flowers that are out right now? And so all the flowers are out. We went to Polly's Flower Garden, and I started picking the little daisies. And I put them in their hair, and they're running in. Oh, look at this! Look at this! And and then you know, and then we go back over to where the to where the. Um, flowers are and you can smell the lilacs and oh they're smelling it all and everything else. then they want the purple flower then they want the big flower you know how it goes and then and then all of a sudden I, one of them i think it was lily goes isn't this beautiful i go yeah isn't god great to make all of that yeah you see what i mean you bring god into the situation and, and, and you bring god into it so that they so they can see the importance of having God. Now, parents, let me tell you how important you are. Mark Twain made a comment. He said, few things are harder to put up with than an annoyance of a good example. So you are so important that you are to be a good example to your children where they need to see God. See, if, you, if you're not the good example, they're going to have a much harder time uh, when, when, when they go to college and they go to all these other places. Because they need that example. Um, the number one point of leadership is this. You set the pace. You set the example. 
So imagine if I would, if I had a pastor standing up here and I said, okay, church, I want us to go right. And we all go right. Well, I just did something wrong because now I'm going left. We all go right, right? But the pastor doesn't do it. See, you have to set the example. You set the example for the people and for your kids. I think my daughter, one of my daughters one time, she stopped and she goes, oh, I, I acted just like you, Dad. Now, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the example that they saw. See, every Sunday morning, uh, give me an idea of an example that we tried to set. Anybody know where my car is at? And I'm not, I'm not trying to do this and pat myself on the back. Anybody know where my car is at? In the parking lot? Farthest point. The farthest point. Why is that? One is Polly likes to see the sunrise. That's part of it. But the other one is I'm setting an example. The example is we open up spaces for those who might need those spaces up there. You see, you set that example. Parents are the same way. You set the example for your children. And if you want them to live a certain way, you have to set that example. And hopefully that example is, is that you are, you are making, our, you are uh, displaying how they are to live with their children, with, uh, as an adult. Okay, so blessed, when you do that, you're in content. Here's the key. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean you're going to be famous. I know of a lot of blessed people who are poor. And I know a lot of very rich people who are miserable. It is, blessed means I am content because I am awe of God. Now, um, and, and I know this is a hard thing, but sometimes you just have to sit back and go, God, you're in control. I don't understand it. And you think of the Ukrainian Christians. God, you're in control. I don't understand it, but I'm content in you. And I, and, I, and I hold on to you. Alright, let's go a little further. The next thing that the children need is that they need a father and a mother who share in the blessing of the Lord. So, it says, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. So, here's this word fruit again. I think last week we talked about it. So, what's the fruit we're talking about? What is fruit? Fruit is food. But do you need fruit to live? No. Actually, my favorite food is actually fruit. Especially strawberries, raspberries, and that type of stuff. Now, is tomato a fruit or a vegetable? Fruit. Vegetable. I, I, don't, I just don't eat it because I don't like it. Okay, so the fruit, word fruit here. In the time of Jesus, there were two fruits that were uh, used. They made life Better, but it was not necessary for survival. Okay, if Daryl was here right now, Daryl Eckin would, because he's given this speech many times when a kid's out of control and yelling at their parents and everything else. He turns around and says, your parents have three responsibilities in your life. Give you food, give you shelter, give you clothing. That's it. Are they giving you food? Yes. Are they giving you shelter? Yes. Are they giving you clothing? Yes. So if they want to take your Xbox or your cell phone away, they have the right to do it. Okay. The fruit is what is extra. Right? So at the time of Jesus, there were two fruits. Olive oil and grapes. Olive oil was used for cooking. It was also medicinal. They also put it on their skin to make them nice and soft and everything else. That's what olive oil was for. 
That made life a little better. Grapes was used for... Come on, we can say it. Wine. wine. Grape was, was used for wine. Now, the, the alcohol content of the wine back then is not as strong as ours was now. They used wine kind of like how we use Pepsi and Pop uh, because it killed the bacteria and the, everything and the parasites that were in the water. So that's what they would drink. A lot of it was wine. It just it was not necessary for survival, but it was it made life a little better. So what what Solomon is saying is, you will eat the stuff that will make your life better, make life more enjoyable, and, and labor and blessings and prosperity will be yours. And that's what you're going to give to your children. You make life a little better for them, don't you? You don't have to take them to Cedar Point. You don't have to take them to Kings Island. You don't have to take them on any vacation. But you do it. Why? makes life a little bit more enjoyable. And so what they need is a, a mother and a father who share the blessing and that enjoyment, the fruit here, is actually the blessings. And you share it with them. Now, the problem with my children is that they come to my house. And we're at the age now where they're looking at us saying, Mommy and Daddy, I want this. I want this. I want this. And you know, it's like they want me to die so they can get the blessing of, of the inheritance. You know what I tell them? Be glad if you get a penny. <laughs> that's what I tell them. But that, that is a fruit a little bit thereof. So children need a father that can share the blessing of the Lord with them. Share not only the good things, but also share the Lord with them. So children need a home of joy and blessing beyond that of survival. So I kind of shared that with you just a little bit because these kind of go together. But it says your wife will be like a fruitful vine. And that does talk a little bit about reproducing. But it's also really talking about uh, the, 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 the fun stuff and the joys of life. Within your house, your sons will be like olive shoots. So uh, the vine shoots, produces, go forward. So children need a home of joy and blessing beyond just survival. Make memories. Make memories. Why are memories so important? Imagine if you have a bank. And men, listen to this. And women, listen to this. Married couples, listen to this. This is key. This is key. Imagine if you have a bank and you put money in the bank. Eventually it's going to fill up. Let's say that you don't put money in the bank and you need gas money. Alright? And there's nothing in there. Your bank is now bankrupt. In a married couple, making positive memories are deposits in the bank. So when a time comes that there needs to be a withdrawal, maybe she becomes sick, she becomes ill, you have a fight, or whatever else, you, that, those deposits are, uh, you have to make a withdrawal. If there's enough memories in there, positive memories, you're not going to go bankrupt. The problem comes is when you don't add anything to the bank, and eventually a withdrawal comes. This is where uh, abuse comes into play, where I'm always abusing my wife, I'm never encouraging, I'm never doing, you see, and you finally you get that withdrawal. Uh, an affair is a major withdrawal, huge withdrawal. Some some make it through it, some don't. So if, if you grow up, let's say, and there's no positive uh, deposits into your memory bank, 
You know, um, when the withdrawal comes, um, um, you become bankrupt. And that happens in marriages. That's called divorce. And the children, they need a home that has blessing and joy where there's a lot of deposits. Now, a deposit does not just mean that you take them to sporting events and you take them to their soccer games and everything else. A major deposit, believe it or not, is when things fall apart. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Gary Smalley uh, was a, a relational, uh, Christian relational expert, and he said one of the best memories you can ever make with your children is go camping. I hate camping. My idea of camping has to be a holiday inn with a jacuzzi. That, that's my idea of camping. But this is what he said. He said, what happens when you go camping? What always happens when you go camping? It rains. Right? Okay, so let's say you're in a pup tent and it rains. What are your kids starting to do when it rains? What? They'll play in the puddles. Right? And what else are they doing? They are laughing. Even if it's in the middle of the night, they're laughing. Oh, huh? Kids, we got to go to the car. And they all run in the car. What are they going to do in the car? They're going to laugh. They're going to have fun. It's going to be hard for them to calm down. They will always remember that. Unless, as a positive thing, Unless you squash that laughing. Now, I'm not talking about kids going to bed. They, my, my grandkids didn't want to go to bed last night. That's not what I'm talking about. There comes a time you, you need to calm them down. But something like that will always be a memory. And it's a positive. <coughs> All right. My daughter's here. I'm not going to put her on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Joanna. Yes. Christmas. Memory. Give me one that he always remembers. There we are. <laughs> Those are the two right there. One Christmas morning, I used to make cinnamon rolls. It takes about two days to make cinnamon rolls. And I made the cinnamon rolls and I put them in the oven. We forgot about them. And they burnt. And it was 20 below zero that Christmas morning. We had to open up our presents with all the windows open. <laughs> the other one was like, we went and bought a Christmas tree and I kept trimming it and trimming it and trimming it. And it was a six foot Christmas tree and it had three foot of no branches underneath. <laughs> and what did I say? You remember what I said? All the presents. Just making more room for the presents. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you make memories. I go into your house, and I had a couple in, in Finley that they were, I walked into their house, and, and after I gave a sermon like this, they actually went to their house and they did this. I could walk into your house and I could see how successful your marriage is going to be based upon how many pictures are on the wall. Or not just on the wall, but everywhere. And, and I preached a sermon on this, you know what they did? They went back to their home and they put <laughs> pictures up all on the wall because it's memories it's memories so make positive memories with your children make positive memories as husbands and wives make those deposits the fruit of your mind okay let's go a little further 
Children need a home where the man. Now I am I am I'm gonna man um, is a gracious leader, treats his wife well, and fears the Lord. A man. There's been an attack on manhood for the last 30 years, 30 or 40 years. And um, and I know this because I actually listened to a Dr. Uh, Charles Mendall uh, this week, uh, getting some ideas for the sermon. And uh, he was talking about the exact same thing that we're dealing with today. But manhood has been under attack. We're finding out how important men are in the families. Uh, here's some statistics I want to share with you. Um, when um, that's not it. Okay. Over the past thirty years, the rise in violent crime parallels with the rise in absent fathers in the home. High crime neighborhoods are characterized by high concentrations of families abandoned by their fathers. I don't want to say disabandoned, but I also want to put in kicked out by the families. State-by-state state analysis by the Heritage Scholars indicate that a 10% increase in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes leads to a 17% increase in juvenile crime. The right of violent teenage crime corresponds with the number of families' absence of fathers. The type of aggression and hostility demonstrated by a future criminal, by a future criminal often foreshadows an unusual aggressive unusually aggressive at the age of five or six because there is no father. Neighborhoods with a high degree, oh, on, on the other hand, on the other hand, I didn't share this in first service, on the other hand, let me change this a little bit, neighborhoods with a high degree of religious practice are not crime-ridden neighborhoods. Do you see that? And we got people trying to get religion out of the United States. Even in high crime inner city neighborhoods well over 90% of the children are safe stable homes do not become delinquents and by contrast only 10% of the children from unsafe unstable homes in these neighborhoods avoid crime. Criminals uh, capable of sustaining marriage gradually move away from a life of crime after they get married. See what you women do to us? A mother's strong affection attachment to her children is a child's best buffer against the life of crime. The father's authority and involvement in raising his children are also a greater buffer against a life of crime. Wow. How important are parents? How important are fathers? I know in the 1990s, they were basically kicking the fathers out of the family. And now they're seeing the results of it. So they need a father who's going to be a gracious leader. Thus, the man, man, I specifically, is blessed who fears the Lord. That's in awe of God. He needs to be a gracious leader. He needs to treat his wife well. Why do you treat your wife well? Because you are setting the pace and the example. Remember leadership? You're setting the example for your children in years to come. They will marry someone, be attracted to someone that really resembles their father. Amen. Not all of them. There's always an exception to the rule. But I'm just saying, they will marry someone 
is like their father. They will marry someone who is like their mother. Not all. But he fears the Lord. He is in awe of the Lord. Alright, next one. Children need to learn that life is not about them. Amen. <laughs> okay, we got that one. It is about serving others and serving the Lord. You want to be happy? Where are my kids? Kids, you want to be happy? Start serving someone. Start serving someone else. You'll never be happy if it's all about you. You will develop a happiness if you start serving. The most, the happiest occupations, believe it or not, are those that are in the service area. Amen. You talk to any nurse, if you get the administration out of them and let them do their job, they would love their job because it's serving other people. Okay, so what does it do? May the Lord bless you from Zion to the days of your life. May you see prosperity of Jerusalem. Who's the one that gives prosperity? God's the one that gives prosperity. But prosperity is actually, it's talking about the joy of Jerusalem, the benefits of being in Jerusalem. So children need to learn that life is not about them, it's about serving the Lord. They serve the Lord for the prosperity of Jerusalem. So do you develop a good name in the community and that produces a blessing in Jerusalem? Okay. I don't know. Every community has a name. I know what the name was up in Kunkel, Ohio, that when you said that name, people shut up. I know what it was in uh, Auburn, Indiana. I don't know what it was in uh, um, uh, Finley, just because it was a large town. But what's the name in Mendon? What's the name in Rockford? What's the name in, in Salina? When they say that name, the police go, oh, them again. As a Christian and as a godly parent, we should have that type of name that when we come in, that the people go, oh. It's not an issue when, when they come walking into the school and they go, oh, here comes that parent again. It is not, it's an issue when they go, oh, welcome, come on in. Let's sit down and talk. Okay, so that's what you want to develop in in, uh, in in the life of your kids. That you want to leave a legacy of a, of a good name in the community, so that they can continue on uh, the good name in the community. And I got my notes all mixed up here, so we'll have to go from there. So we uh, you, you develop that good name. We did that in Finland. We would walk in. Our kids went to the poorest school in Finland. I didn't believe in, in uh, economic discrimination until I went to Finley. And I, we, the school that my kids went to in Finley got all the leftovers. Seriously. If Bigelow School got all new desks, Washington got the leftovers. The carpeting in that school was literally laid down with duct tape and it was the remnants of the carpeting everywhere else. We went in, Polly and I went in, and we were going to move my son out of that school because I had had it. And the principal convinced us not to. He looked at me and said, Darwin, he says, these are good teachers, great teachers, they're very dedicated teachers, but I will also tell you, we need you in this school. But what do you mean? We need, these, parents, these kids need to see a family, because there are none. And I was still at the point of saying, I'm going to move them anyway, and they convinced me not to. I eventually became the champion of that school. I went to the school board. 
I said, why are you treating these kids this way? We don't have the money. Oh, really? It's 1997. They passed a levy in which you were going to remodel this school, you're going to remodel this school. You remodeled this school, and you haven't put a dime in this school. And all the teachers behind me going, very evident during the flood of 2007, I think it was, where all the money went into all the schools except for this school. Have such a good name that the principals of the high schools or the elementary schools are begging for you to stay. children from godly families most likely will carry on a godly legacy. And may you live to see your children's children peace be unto Israel. So, godly children of godly families most likely will carry on the legacy, a godly legacy. We, we recognize that the kids do make their choices. I understand. But what I'm saying is, is um, what legacy are you going to leave that's going to continue on? How is Darwin going to continue on even after he's put in the grave? That, that, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And the legacy will continue on because you will have what are called grandkids, most likely. And you will continue to influence them, even sometimes even more so than their parents do. I always think about this with me. I'm sitting there going, okay, I got a question. What's that? What was my grandparents like? What was my great-grandparents like? What was my great-great-great-grandparents like? Why, why did they come here? See, my, my, the Duntons are actually from Worcester, Massachusetts. We came through this area in the 1800s, right before the Civil War. And the Duntons went to Huntertown, Indiana. They were part of the Universalist Church. Not the Universalist Church as we have today. That's a cult. This is a different type of Universalist Church. <laughs> So this Universalist Church comes over here. Why did they go to Huntertown? The Underground Railroad. They went from Worcester, Massachusetts to Huntertown, Indiana, where they established the Underground Railroad. The Dunton household, which is on Dunton Road, not this Dunton Road, but another Dunton Road that's spelled right. Uh, this Dunton Road, there's a household right there that they have found caverns inside of the walls that they think that's where they hid the kid or hid the, hid the slaves. How did that impact me now? How about the delays? I mean, all that. How does that impact me now? <clears throat> you have such an important job, grandparents, that I cannot emphasize it enough. Because this is a grandma. I'm going re to read this to you and we're going to be done. I know I'm over a little bit, but let me get to a grandma here. Here we go. An eight-year-old wrote, this is a grandma. A grandma is a lady who has no children of her own. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so she likes other people's boys and girls. Grandmas don't have anything to do except be there. If they take us for walks, they slow down for the pretty leaves and caterpillars. They never say hurry up. Usually, they're, usually they are fat. <laughs> but not too fat for their shoes. <laughs> Whatever. They wear glasses and sometimes they take out their teeth. Um, they, they can answer questions like, why do dogs hate cats and why isn't God married? They don't talk like visitors do, which is hard to understand. 
When they read to us, they don't skip words or mind if the same mind if it's the same story again. Everyone should should try to have a grandma, especially if you don't have television, because grandmas are the only grown-ups who are always there. Just hear it. But seriously, if, even if you don't have biological grandkids, my kids had grandparents at every church we were at that became adopted. Um, Paige Backer, Gerald, and Velda Oyer. Um, her, their son was Paige's uh, music director at Tomorrow High School. They were Grandma and Grandpa Oyer. Okay. give good examples or put them on the right path but the final forming of a person's character lies in their own hands next week we're going to talk about it when your children go down the wrong path what to do with a parent let's pray and uh, Father we've talked about a lot of things today and I just pray that you'll help us to be great parents great grandparents as we establish the next generation of kids. May your blessing be upon us and upon them. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said it.